Is separation of church and state a good thing? Should we fight things like the Ten Commandments to be in our governmental buildings? What are the pros and cons of keeping the government and the church separate? We will discuss today on the Dude Facts Podcast. Welcome to the Dude Facts Podcast. We're four guys that are united by a love for coffee, Jesus, and corny jokes. In the past, we all served in ministry together. In the present, we create podcasts to help you get through your week. And in the future, we aspire to be the granddad that teaches his grandkids to pull his finger. So if you love Java, Jesus, and dad jokes, you're going to fit right in. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of joe, and enjoy this week's episode of the Dude Facts Podcast. What it is. Yo, what it do. <laughs> Seasoned beans. <laughs> That's what I was like. Don't you know how to knock phlegm wad? Yeah, so this is part two of uh, episode 39. Um, thanks for sticking around with us. We told all the episode or all the part one listeners that we would try to share all these great new Christmas sound board clips um, that we had, and none of them are working still. Yeah, so yeah. we would like for you to get on uh, the tweet box and just tear riverside fm a new one um tell them to get on fixing this mess yeah, yeah. is that like x the yes. xbox yes oh, the xbox but then no one knows what you're talking about yeah no we're kidding riverside's a great platform um usually so separation of church and state that's what we're going to be talking about on this podcast it's definitely something that um all right who sent the thumbs down again it's definitely <laughs> Where's the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I have no idea. Grant's figured something out, and uh, we've got to find it. So, <laughs> that's not me. Uh, so our topic, if I can stay focused during this part, is uh, what what does it mean the separation of church and state? We hear about it all the time. There are whole organizations that are formed to try and enforce what they believe or think um, is meant by that phrase. Is it? Is it a law in the land? Is it something that is constitutional? Um, and where's the line in that? So we've had um, we've we've heard uh, news reports of different uh, teachers or coaches that lose their job because they have um, led a prayer or baptized a student on school property. We've also seen the Ten Commandments come out of uh, court buildings and and uh, and schools. So there's no longer prayer in school. Um, so what what are we to do as believers? How are we to respond to that? Um, what does it look like in Scripture when we see early believers, the, the very first ones dying for their faith because of their uh, unashamed proclamation of Jesus in the public forum? So what does that look like for us today in this culture and in this time? Um, so thank you guys for joining me for this discussion. It's great yes. to have you on our panel today. Thank Glad you to for inviting here. me. Yeah, so... Good times. <laughs> does, that, does that imply that a discussion would have happened if we were there, not Josh? 
Yeah. <laughs> talk with yourself. I, I talk with myself all You're joining me while I talk to myself. That's right. Here. I don't really need you. but it's How am I doing to today? <laughs> Thanks for flying us in. I think we should do a whole... Your well, legs are tired. <laughs> yeah, your arms must be tired. <laughs> I think we should do a whole episode in the... Um, the with the radio ladies SNL. I don't know what the actual skit's called, but yeah. they do the sweaty. Sweaty. Um yeah. yeah, good times. Good times. Good to be here. Christmas is special. It's a little too exciting. Man, my heart's a flutter. All right. <laughs> Anyways, so um I wanted to start. I just wanted to share uh, a news article that um this happened beginning of November. You may have heard about it. It's not a new thing that happens in our society um but there was a a coach a football coach in oh can i find the actual article now yeah here it is uh georgia high school football coach fired weeks after holding baptism ceremony yeah following practice Mm -hmm. in georgia Um, in georgia yeah which you know it's strange Mm -hmm. that that stuff happens you know in in the south um not the baptisms but someone being fired for it so this is in tatnall t-a-t-t-n-a LL Tatnall. Georgia. Definitely how it's pronounced. Yeah, I'm sure it is. If, if you live there, Tatnall. Tatnall, so Georgia. There was probably some old guy that had a tattoo and they're like, it's the guy over there with the Tatnall. Yeah, there you go. Or maybe they're trying to say Tylenol. Oh, you ain't had Tatnall. <laughs> Tatnall is what he's. All right. A football coach in Georgia was fired after he held a ceremony. This is from Fox 5 out of Atlanta. Uh, after he held a, a ceremony to baptize 20 of his players, Isaac Farrell will continue to teach in the Tattanoff County School District. Superintendent Kristen Waters told facts. facts. Dude, facts, 28 Savannah. Fox, 28 Savannah. So the Christian ceremony took place October 23rd. Savannah. With local pastor Gary Few baptizing the players in tubs. Some people in the district were apparently upset that coach brought um, religion into athletics. Freedom from Religion Foundation, this is the FFRF, one of their attorneys wrote in a letter to Waters that Farrell, the coach, abused his power. The district must refrain from infusing its football program with religion, and Coach Farrell cannot be allowed to preach to student-athletes or allow a, a local pastor to preach to and baptize students, he wrote. Uh, Farrell is now out of a coaching job. Um, However, the decision um, was made because of an incident after a game November 3rd. So they're saying that the firing of him, at least in this article, from the school's perspective was because of some other incident that occurred. Um, The safety and security of our students is paramount to um, the school board based on the outcome of an investigation into an incident that occurred Friday night, November 3rd, while traveling after the football game, the district decided that would seek a head football coach that aligned with the best entrance of the students. So um, this article is not the the most recent. This was November 17th, so a few few weeks ago. And this isn't an isolated event. I think we hear of things like this all the time. So in this situation, a coach after a football game or after a practice, had a pastor there, and something led to them deciding to baptize all these students. If you mm-hmm. haven't seen the video, um, it's it's simply kid after kid after kid. They look like grown men, though. 
but these guys get into a tub that's not big enough for them. They actually have to hang their legs over, so it's not full immersion. It's kind of somewhere in the middle. But they dunk their heads, and every time a kid comes out, there's all this cheering for them. Um, and so this somehow gets out there, and the Freedom From Religion Foundation hears about it. They begin to, to charge back against it, uh, and they have an attorney. Uh, so what, what they do is when they think people are crossing this line, the separation of church and state, this organization goes to sue whatever person or entity or uh, business or school board or government, whatever it is that's allowing what they think is a breach of that line to, to occur. So th- here's this guy lost his job uh, ultimately because he, he allowed football players after practice to be baptized on school property. Um, I, I wonder what his record was. Because I'd be curious if yeah. he if he was like a real successful coach, would this be a big deal? Or if he was not very good, if that was something that was a catalyst behind this? Because no doubt like there's groups the out there that are out there, but it, it almost makes me wonder. Just knowing the importance of football, especially in the South, what's his record? Three and one. Parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look very good. Let's see. Yeah, they were two and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh yeah, they played ten games. They were two and eight. Ooh, and uh, so they were probably already looking for reasons to well, nail this guy. The last game was the thirty first or the third of November. The game he got fired after, and the score was thirty one to nine. Ooh, three and one. Yeah, but the school that beat them <laughs> called was it. Was twelve and zero. They were twelve. Oh, no. they're twelve one now. Wins with Judas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, sounds like an well, upset Christian wind to Fox News. <laughs> that a what? what sounds like an upset Christian wind to Fox News. Uptight Christian. Upset. Oh, upset. Well, maybe uptight. <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah. So, do you guys have y'all heard of other instances like this where? We're seeing, um, like, recently types of things. Maybe you've seen something shut down that's um, maybe within a government purview, um, but it's a it's a religion, it's a religious practice, or something occurs that that shut down because of that. Do you uh, remember that case about the the uh, lady who refused to give the day after pill at a pharmacy? Yeah. You know that yeah, so, I think, I think so. it went to the Supreme Court. She, the the actual lady who refused to dispense the day after pill, was actually a guest service volunteer at the church that we attended when we first moved here to Vancouver. She's the first person to welcome us and say hi. Wow. So there's that. that and that was a private before pharmacy. Before you were there or after? That happened before we got there. Okay. So it's in the middle of um, court hearings when we we moved here. So. How'd that end but that up? was like a freedom of expression thing. I actually don't know, to be honest. I think it might still be ruled about. And the weird thing is that that court case that involved the uh, now Washington Commies football team, it actually wasn't their case at all. That was actually my friend Simon Tam versus the Portland Trademark Office and their lady not letting him register his name. But the ruling affected the Washington Commies. And he was part of my life group in our living room. So we need two like wow. people who had the <laughs> Supreme Court cases in their names. It's crazy. Mm, wow. 
So yeah. there's not se- much separation of church and state in your church. In my church? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, that's before the church merger. <laughs> yeah, I was sharing this story off uh, air uh, a minute ago, but right before I went to West Point as a chaplain, there was a service that met in one of the auditoriums in one of the class or like academic buildings at West Point, and uh, they met there on Sundays, and of course it's voluntary, but the chaplains would put up signs welcoming everybody to the the church service and it got accidentally left up on above the doors and so on monday morning the cadets rolled in uh somebody saw it snapped a photo and uh, it became a, a big deal uh, it didn't shut the service down but it definitely um sort of hamstrung those chaplains and and what they could do and not do um at the school and so and that was there are you. people out there uh, that was before my time. Okay. Unfortunately, uh, I didn't have to deal with anything like that. But uh, wanted to say we weren't doing things that, you know, some watch group might come in and, and try to shut down just because, you know, they don't like the thought of, you know, people sharing Jesus on um, the grounds of West Point or whatever. I know that when, so my older brother, when he graduated high school, his graduating class, there was some complaints before the graduation ceremony um about there being a planned um prayer like it was a student-led prayer but there were still like complaints about it and basically like you know they were told that they couldn't do it the his his whole class actually like rebelled against that a little bit um so they uh like the majority of the class at least i don't know not the whole one not whoever complained but um they just did a moment of silence and then like the entire class just said out loud the Lord's Prayer. So that was that was like the biggest thing that I experienced with it, this type of thing. I don't know if you guys are history buffs at all, but in 2020, there's this thing called COVID. Oh, really? <laughs> I've heard of it. COVID. And then all is these governors the, had like opinions. the flu we all had in 2019? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, in a sense, we all dealt with things where our particular states were asking churches to do certain things inside of their buildings or to not do certain things. So, so in a sense, if you're an American listener, you've you've dealt with this or been yeah. exposed to yeah. this. You you hear about things like this all the time. I mean, if you're if you're active on social, um, um, you know the X or TikTok, especially, you'll see. Um, either um, groups being shut down uh, for um, it, or even not shut down, just over trying to be overwhelmed by an opposing group uh, because they're communicating something Christian um, or that backlash of, you know, this shouldn't occur on federal property or within a school or whatever. And I think a lot of this comes from a really a misunderstanding um, of what was meant um, originally by the idea of a separation between the church and the state, because there's a lot of history with that. Um, it's uh, it, Ryan's going to share uh, some of that with us here in a sec, but it's not in the Constitution. And I think a lot of people say, like, it is. It's const- uh, it's there, the, I, the, the phrasing, right. separation of church and state, is not in, in the Constitution. There is an amendment, but it's 
not really there for the reason we understand that we take it today, mm -hmm. the First Amendment. Um, so maybe that's a good place maybe for us to get some solid footing on this conversation, just to see a little bit of the history and maybe how it's come to be what we understand it to be today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. Um, I had some I have some notes on it that I just made this afternoon when I was kind of doing some light research. Um, so uh, you know, it's it's a it's really a philosophical idea. It's not it's not necessarily a law or an amendment or something in our constitutions, uh, as Josh said. But it's it's something that's been evolving over hundreds of years. Um, really going back to Europe. Uh, when it was you know, largely run by first European Catholic Church, and then the, yeah, by Europeans, uh, and then you know, at least in American history, going back to like the Church of England and um, people fleeing persecution um, from Great Britain and things like that. Um, so um, you know, go going back there, there's been different things over the years. I, I made some notes of things. So in um, you know, uh, there was this divine authority that, you know, a lot of rulers ruled with the, the idea of like divine right, divine authority. That they were chosen by God to be the rulers of their given country. Um, these Those ideas were pushed back on as early as, you know, I, I made note of uh, 1164 in the constitutions of um, Clarendon. Um, which asserted that Supreme uh, asserted the supremacy of royal courts over um, like the clergy and, you know, clerical decisions um, and uh, in specific matters, specifically matters of the English crown. And then in 1215, in the Magna Carta, um, there's uh, things about it. So, you know, this is going back like hundreds of years. People have been talking about this and trying to find some sort of balance. Um, Martin Luther even um, uh, introduced some ideas. He had the, the Doctrine of Two Kingdoms, um, which was then later ex expounded upon um, by uh, Reformation, um, Reformationist, I guess uh, is the term I'm looking for. When he was um, marching in Memphis? Yeah. <laughs> wow. He was He's a busy guy. He was, yeah, doing a lot. Um, <laughs> over many years. Um, because we're no, walking in Memphis. Walking in Memphis, yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, just some just some other highlights of things I noted. Um, King Henry VIII, um, uh, he uh, created the Church of England with himself as the religious ruler uh, because he wanted to break with the Catholic Church because they would not let him have a divorce. Um, they wouldn't and, annul uh, his marriage, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he started a church uh, so he started, started his own, his own church translation makes sense yeah <laughs> um that's why Bible is the only good one we we have yeah. depending on who was in in rule in britain at the time whether they were uh protestant or catholic there was years of just back back and forth religious persecution um among uh, the catholics and protestants in england and then which led to a lot of people fleeing England saw a lot of people to North America, uh, to the early United States colonies. And, um, they were specifically fleeing religious persecution from the state church, the church of England, because they were not whatever, you know, they didn't align with the ideas of the church of England. Um, so we see that a lot. And so that it's, it really goes into 
as Americans, it's really like, uh, yeah, I don't want to say bread in us, but it's, it's a very big topic that our country was founded on. And so it's been around for a long time. Which is always interesting because I think that portion of American history, Christians like to latch onto, neglecting the fact mm-hmm. that a lot of the pilgrim ships were funded by public businesses trying to thrive off the the new world and all of its produce and their ideas oh, yeah. of what well, we there's, had in there's this many land. reasons that people came to America. That, oh, it's that was crazy. just one of many, though, but the, you're right. But American we'll Christians latch on to that one. Yeah. No, it's freedom of religion. Right. And so brothels were brought here in the second generation. <laughs> it's like we, we idealize this one. And if you look at early American history, God is all over the first generation's writings by, by second generation when they're starting to thrive, when they've scared the natives away from where they want to settle and they can kind of like live without dying. Like God almost entirely disappears from the second generation's literature. It's so cyclical. Yet we'll look back to that point in history and say, no, we need to get back to this. Get back to what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so uh, I'll jump to, so the the Constitution. We mentioned the First Amendment um, is where people get, this kind of idea comes from people say it's in the Constitution. What they're talking about is the First Amendment, which I'll read the actual full text of, which is, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or or of the press or the right of people to peacefully assemble and petition the government and for redress of grievances. Um, And then that was later expounded upon by Thomas Jefferson, um, specifically um, where we get. Yeah. (laughs) The guy from Hamilton. Yep. Uh, That's uh, but he, uh, so he, Thomas Jefferson is where we get the phrase, a separation of church and state where he says he's in his, let's see. Separation. note here. <laughs> dun, separation. Dun, dun, dun. Church and state. But, uh, his writing oh, here we go. Yeah. So in letter to the Danbury Baptist Association in 1802, um, Jefferson writes, uh, believing, believing with you that religion is a matter that lies solely between man, uh, and his God, that he owes account to none other uh, for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions. I contemplate with sovereign reverence the act that the whole American people, which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, quoting the First Amendment, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. So that's wall? where that phrase comes from. Building the wall. Yeah, a wall. That's all Trump wants to do. It is all cyclical. See? It is. It just all comes around. And I couldn't help but think, as you were saying, what you're saying, Grant, that uh, you know, politics has not changed. You know, no. the fact that Christians are latching on to, you know, that whole idea that we are founded on religious freedom is similar to, you know, Trump during the last election going into church and quoting two Corinthians. <laughs> Well, it's like saying, I'm a but, Christian. Hey, guys. But then all the Christian pastors who support Trump finally yeah. say, no, that's that's a, an acceptable way of how people say. Well, you know? and that's something I don't know if, if you were planning on getting there, Ryan, but I was thinking about the Johnson Amendment. Which is the amendment. Um, it's a provision in the U.S. tax code. 
1954 that prohibits all 501c3s or nonprofit organizations like churches from endorsing or opposing political candidates. So one of the most interesting things that Trump actually did is he didn't repeal that. So what, what that prohibited was a pastor from his platform saying vote for this guy, saying vote for this guy or don't vote for this guy. You are not allowed to do that as a non-for-profit organization in the U.S. But um, Donald Trump did sign an executive order essentially limiting um, – he, he signed, let's see, a pre- presidential executive order promoting free speech and relig- religious liberty. Um, it does not repeal the Johnson Amendment, nor does it allow ministers to endorse from the pulpit, wink, wink. However, uh, it does halt the enforcement – step two feet (laughs) it delayed the enforcement of consequences for those that disobeyed the johnson amendment so essentially it it repealed consequences of it which then you have you know certain churches certain large churches then endorsing him um (laughs) yeah (laughs) sorry whereas two of the four of us went to seminary near in that state right hey not my state. So it's just, it's an interesting world for Christians to get lost in and find all of their hope and identity in. (laughs) Fortunately. Yeah. And I did want to make one last note that our current, our current political understanding of separation of church and state really stems back to um, this specific court case, which is Everson versus board of education in 1947. That was where the First Amendment was expounded upon, and they leaned heavily on Thomas Jefferson's um, letter and talking mm-hmm. about separation of church well. and state. Um, so that's where we it kind of like came into like our modern lexicon, and people really mm-hmm. harping on that specific phrase. This is also where I read it earlier. I'm not sure if I could find it again. Um, this is, I believe, where the phrase "hedge of protection." came in does when, it when oh, we prayed seriously? because the um actually, actually funny the guy one of the pastors i think it was a pastor that maybe started that church in rhode island um they they were writing back and forth and it may even be repeated in thomas jefferson's letter but that that pastor used the phrasing like we need a, a hedge of protection from the government so um uh, it's believe that that's probably that idea of where hedge why what was so this church doing? doing the hedge, the hedge. yeah okay yeah. do what grant what was this church doing that needed they needed protection from the government <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah it seemed like some churches do so what you're saying is trump <laughs> instead of trying to build a wall should have been trying to plant hedges been, put a hedgerow yeah, in right. gotcha okay. yeah. they would have been that's funny. <laughs> hedges are dangerous yeah you know and i think we should say that um you know, this this is a good thing because there are Christians out there. I've had these conversations that, you know, automatically see separation of church and state as a bad thing, something that is is bad for the church, is bad for the faith. Because they uh, want the church and the state. Yeah. that They want the Ten Commandments inside the, the Capitol building or in schools or whatever. And uh, say, you know, now that it's been removed, that's that's when, you know, everything's gone to pot or whatever. But, um, you know, I'm not necessarily arguing that specific point, but the idea what 
you know, Thomas Jefferson was talking about, you know, that is, that is a good thing. Cause if you go to a country where there isn't a separation of church and state and, and you see that lived out, it, it's a whole different ball game. When we were in China, mm-hmm. uh, one, we had to show a passport to get into a church service um, because the uh, locals could not attend yeah, not this church service. They were not uh, yeah, legally allowed, but we were able to, as visitors, to attend a church service. And so us Americans and there's some Africans and Australians all meeting in this church service in China, and we were allowed to do that. Um, there are hey, Christian Jeff, are bookstores you, in China. Yeah. Are you African? Side note. So actually, I freaking love you. 16th. <laughs> <laughs> I need the music on that one. <laughs> Honestly, I am 116th. So You're like every white exciting. person being Native American. It's one sixteenth, and no yeah, one can yeah. prove it. <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, no college I, for you. My relatives that I could uh, uh, call upon are, are now gone, but uh, we, we are called ancestors. Have, have pretty good proof, um, and, that, and that was my great grandmother's um, wig when she removed it. You could see her. Um, you, you could see the heritage very clearly. But anyway, digress. Um, <laughs> Heritage. <laughs> Heritage. <laughs> that was good. But so there, there's Christian bookstores in China, but they, you know, and, and there's churches in China, but they are um, monitored yeah. by the government. State and uh, so the, there are things they can't say from the pulpit, um, you know, in, in terms of things that they, they believe, scriptural things, truth that they cannot speak. Um, you know, if it opposes or gives the impression of opposing government. And so it's, it's similar to being a chaplain in the army because, you know, we have to toe this line of, you know, one being true to the constitution and, uh, you know, respecting the establishment of religion, but also, um, allowing all soldiers and family members to worship as they see fit and not imposing upon that. And so, you know, in a way, w- we can preach in our respective Protestant Catholic services what we believe to be true. There's nothing guarding that. But if we're to pray publicly, which we have a lot of public prayers in the army, um, sometimes we have to we have to take things into context and be careful with how we pray, which is an interesting um you know line to to toe and i don't think we want to do that in our churches uh get to the point where the government is saying hey you can only be a christian to this percentage if you violate that then nope you have to in the army you have to pray to like a great godmother of nature something like that so men and a women (laughs) remember that what's that what was that from there's someone i think it was a congressperson who prayed in a oh yeah meeting or something and an a woman so here's yeah. uh just some countries that are on a list of countries with an official state religion um and if we want to be like any of these um afghanistan um or some of these are extreme sunni islam afghanistan bahrain um let's see djibouti just because i want to say that one. Um, Iran, Iraq, I sat. Wait, Jordan, Iran um, to Djibouti. 
<laughs> Pakistan, <laughs> pa Palestine. What? But there's several. I mean, there's a lot, and the Vatican, of course. There's there's several here, um, including Denmark. Israel? And y'all want to know what their state religion is in Denmark? Jedi. Folkekirken. I'm going to have to research into Folkekirken. <laughs> it sounds like... What uh, the Which I think like it means people's church. Star Trek. It means evangelical Lutheran. You were close. Uh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> and that, that's, yeah. that's a good segue to this, Josh. This is this is 2019, okay? So take that with a grain of salt. 2019. Uh, <laughs> I know. These, up, these Nordic countries, which are Western European, like modern countries, still have church taxes, which means the state takes out a tithe that goes to fund the state churches. And in Denmark, 80% of people actually pay it. In Austria, 76%. That's not Nordic. Uh, Switzerland, 74%. Germany, 71%. Finland, 71%. And Sweden, 78%. So people still pay those taxes that go to the official church of those uh, countries. So and people believe be that it contributes to the greater good. They, yeah, they yeah. do. If it's Christian, it'd be the greater good, right? Because that's never done. <sighs> <laughs> Constantine Christians historically <laughs> never done bad yeah when it's been an imposed religion uh, so okay so we've got this this un, a little bit of an understanding and Ryan maybe you've got yeah. some more you want to add to it but so so where we are at this point is um, the, kind of the original idea was not to keep the church out of the public square or form, or maybe even out of politics or government, but was really to keep the government from imposing onto the church what mm -hmm. the church could, could, or any church could say I, is true or how they wanted to. I think it's vice versa. It's 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 both ways. It it's the the idea is to prevent the one prevent the government from you know, state-sponsored religion, which then creates persecution yeah. of people who don't adhere to that specific religion, even that specific version of Christianity in yeah. historical instances, but also keeps the, you know, keeps the church out of the government, you know, I think is the important distinction there. Basically, keeping the church out of the government is keeping the government a entity that is not telling people what to believe. But also, that doesn't mean that it can't provide the means for people to participate in what they believe and to share themselves what they believe. Yeah, but it, what I'm meaning is that it, it, it doesn't mean that religious tenets or ethics can't influence government decisions. For instance, um, you know, there's, there's certain things that... Um, the the taking care of the poor or um i know we'd put abortion under just general murder we know that's wrong but we don't view that in in our um, in our nation you know that's not those two have been separated mm -hmm. uh, but i think there are things that um whether it's christianity or not and we'd probably say majority christianity in our country that are ethics or tenets of that faith that should we pray influence government and the way it operates and and the decisions that are made mm -hmm. um 
but without it being an official, this is what we do because we're a Christian country. Right. Well, a lot of those things can just be chalked up to like, this is how people within a functioning society of decent people should operate, should operate. Like it, <laughs> yeah. it, it goes beyond yeah. Christian beliefs. And that's just like a, a common belief that we should hold to function as a society. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of just decent, under, you know, common decent yeah. understanding out there. <laughs> so did you have something that you wanted to share on? No, I, the only thing, other thing I wanted to share was that, you know, talking about thomas jefferson and his you know coining the phrase separation of church and state and i think he leaned a lot on uh the specific philosopher john locke um who um kind of is credited often with kind of who's the guy lost really yeah (laughs) not he's in mission impossible um but uh he's he's credited often with uh kind of creating the concept of separating church and state um even though i you know, as I talked earlier, it goes back even before him. But um, he specifically talked about how the he argued that the government lacked authority in the realm of individual conscience. So basically, his his idea was that the government doesn't have the authority to tell someone what they can and can't believe, uh, which I agree with, and I think I think Thomas Jefferson was uh, harping on that same thing. Yeah, and it blurs the lines. I mean, if if we're going to combine the two, it's it's going to blur the lines, and you know, as a person of faith, I don't want that. Obviously, I mean, I, d- I don't want, um, you know, my faith to be confused with a political party, and and I think sadly we see that because mm-hmm. there is some blurring of the lines, even though we say separation of church and state, and um, you know, and and I think we as Christians kind of invite that more on the fact that. We have tried to put the state into our churches um, more than, you know, the government has tried to pull in, uh, you know, obviously religion. And uh, part of this goes back to preaching politics from the the pulpit. And and it's not so much that, you know, all pastors are doing this. I mean, uh, there are some out there. We know the Greg Locke. I don't mm. know if he's a descendant of John Locke. I hope. Uh, he's, John Locke thinks very differently than his uh, ancestor, if that's Something the case. Went down but, uh, but um, you know, there are preachers that do that. But Christian thinking I, and and social media has made this explode where everybody can get on their soapboxes and preach from their social media platforms. Um, you know, the lines have been blurred to confuse the words of Christ with the words of Republicans or Democrats or whoever. Um, and that's the danger we run. And I think this was a good thing set in place that there should be a separation. But I think we have sort of muddied the waters um, too much. So let's take that that step then. And I, I believe I think we'd all kind of believe that and agree that it's a good thing and how it was meant originally. And we need to be thankful for that First Amendment and we need to fight to protect it. Um, the last thing we want is for the government to say, well, your Christianity is limited or it's no longer Christianity. We are whatever, uh, whatever country. And um, uh, so what does it look like, though, today? Because I think the majority and this is how we started our conversation. It seems like that idea of the separation of church and state is what is thrown out there a lot to justify. um suing people like this coach um 
or or removing teachers or I don't know wherever you want to go. It seems like it's the 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 school is the the front lines of a lot of this. Um, well, what does that have to do with this idea of separation of church and state? Is it justified? I think there's a huge missed opportunity for believers if they truly love Jesus to make it an us versus them issue. Um, because I personally, the people that I know that are very, um, big on separation of church and state, meaning they want their church in the state, but they want the state out of their church and they want the 10 commandments in schools. They want the pastors praying on the field. Uh, it's like almost stick it to the man type type attitude that they have. And you see very little interaction with them and their government. I think it's really interesting, especially if you look at Paul and who he interacts with in the book of Acts, like quite a few of the people he's actually interacting with are government employees or officials. And you're seeing people come to Jesus largely because of, and a lot of times because of these interactions that Paul has with government officials. And then I think about even Jesus with, I talk about him a lot, Nicodemus. We think, oh, he's just this weird religious guy. But Israel was a two-party system. Um, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees comprising their state government that was allowed by an occupying government from Rome. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And Jesus is like, man, you, you don't get it. You need to be born again. Like, this is not working. <laughs> like, clearly your hope is in this wrong, broken system. But Jesus doesn't say, uh, dismiss him at any point. He engages with him. And Jesus never dismisses government at all. He, he says that his kingdom is now. It's not to come. It's now. And that's something that even his own disciples misunderstood what that meant. And then Jesus has some very shocking teachings even about those occupying rulers, Jesus says, even if a soldier comes to you, ask you to carry their coat for one mile, what does he say? Take it two? Or he, I'm sure Jesus used kilometers because, you know, he's classier than we are Americans. <laughs> Strata or something. <laughs> yeah. But he, Jesus never dismissed, like, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. Like, he doesn't dismiss state as we, a lot of Christians might prefer. Those are the enemy. They're the bad guys. They're the ones oppressing us. No, Jesus seemed to be on mission for every pe uh, every person. And it seems like he had pretty positive interactions, um, turning people toward Jesus, whoever they were. Paul did the same thing. I think it's really, really interesting. Would Jesus tell a football coach not to baptize students <laughs> at Jerusalem High School? Dude, and I don't know. And this is... <laughs> I'll get off my soapbox after this. This is the last scripture I'll, I'll share, or biblical idea I'll share. One of the hardest times in church recently for me was during COVID. You know, we, we followed our state mandates. Um, we stopped services in person in March, like a lot of churches in Washington did. We resumed then at the end of June, beginning of July of 2020 um, with social distancing. I don't care how much hate I get on social media for this. We wore masks. We asked people to wear masks if they if they felt so inclined. But when we decided the year before that we were going to preach through First Peter before COVID was even a thing. And one of the most convicting passages was this one. And I actually had a guy preach it for me, one of our deacons at, at our church. And he's from middle of nowhere, Illinois, very, very big, good old boy. I was really afraid of what was going to come out of this guy's mouth. But the passage was, be subject for the Lord's sake. So not for my sake and not for your sake, be subject 
which means put ourselves under these people for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I just think that's incredibly challenging. For the Lord's sake, not for my sake, not for my reasoning, not for my preferences and the ways that I feel like I should be free to worship. So for me, it was a worshipful experience to wear a mask because I was obeying God by wearing one because my governor said I should probably wear one. And I actually knew people who symbolically, uh, no one knew, they shared with me, but uh, you know, they took the principle of if a guy asks you to go one mile, go two. They actually wore two masks until the mandates were lifted, just to think, like, I'm serving the Lord. He's in control. He's God. I'm not. It's not about my freedom. It's not about my preferences. I don't know. I just found that very interesting and challenging. It is. And then then balancing that out with uh, Acts 4, where you've got Peter and John, and yeah. the, the ruling party of the day there says, can't talk about Jesus anymore. And they say, um, uh, verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So I think there's a very— um, But let's be clear, there was no law about not preaching Jesus at that time. No, exactly. And, and there's not a law about it today. Right. But so, I think the, the fascinating part of that story with the football player, though, is like we rented a school, the church plant here in downtown Washington, and that surprised a lot of people that we use a public building for our church services. But something that magically happens if you have a contract and your own insurance is a church magically becomes a, a place that is not a place of public accommodation. And a completely different set of laws apply to a place that's not considered a public place of accommodation. Uh, and so for us, that was the case. We could talk about Jesus all day long. If we rented the field behind the school for special events, we could talk about Jesus all day long. But if we were there serving at a school event, it was different rules because then it was a place of public accommodation. Yes, it is. Yes, I, I get what you're saying. But, but where do we then draw the line as believers? And I'm not trying to argue one way or the other, but where where then is is a teacher or a coach like this like – how far are they able to go or should they? I think that it's important to, to note that people who are teachers or politicians or whatever, people who are agents of the government in, in some way, they're a public servant of some kind, they still, uh, they still have the right and are allowed to have their own personal beliefs and to share them. I think I think the line really comes to like are they acting in capacity as that public servant at the time because I feel like that specific story about the football player or about the football coach that was after practice this was a voluntary thing this was just something he was doing for a group I don't feel like in that point at that point in time he was like you know I've clocked out this is personal time now and that is was the equivalent of using a church, using a school public auditorium for their services or something like that. Um, I, I think there's I think there's definitely a line that needs to be drawn, but I think it's it gets pushed farther than it should oftentimes, like in this situation 
that we specifically reference. I, I, I think it's about being strategic too. Like, uh, there's a reason we pray for wisdom, and I think there's a reason why. Obviously, God enacted these things. Christ taught these things. It's because Christ was smart. I mean, he he knows. And um, you know, we in, in the case of the, of this coach, I mean, he's in a position where he knows that I have great influence over these young men and uh, I can use that for the kingdom. Absolutely. And and you should do that. Um, but I also need to be strategic because I could be removed out of that. And I think and that, lose that platform altogether. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's like the missionary in uh, you know, a persecuted country or China or whatever saying, yeah, I want to go and I want to be bold and I want to share the gospel. Hey, I'm going to stand on the street corner and just shout it out. That's great and all that you're being bold. For a day. <laughs> Yeah, are you, are you going to get arrested or deported? And then the ministry altogether is, is wiped out. And so you have to be strategic. And I even see that in my role. It's, you know, yeah, I I would, you know, I'm, I'm praying in Jesus' name. I know when I pray, I'm praying. I know who I'm praying to. But I'm in this public ceremony where there's people of all faiths. Am I going to die on this hill and possibly lose this this ministry that God's called me to because of this? No, absolutely not. There's more important kingdom work at hand. And so I think we have to balance that. And I think in some cases, we there may be people that are called to sort of buck that system for a specific reason. Um, but I think more often than not, it's it's about doing what that, that scripture says, you know, we are subject for the Lord's sake and, uh, you know, waiting on God, um, you know, and, and trusting that whatever context we're in, God will, will use that and we'll have more opportunities to, to pour into people. And, and you look at a guy like Daniel and his story, and it's a little bit different, but, you know, Daniel had great influence and great position and there was a law made that he couldn't pray to God anymore. And he was like, no, I'm still going to do it anyway. And, and he did it. But, you know, you, we know the end of that story. And we know, obviously, that, that God used that in a mighty way to, you know, ultimately show the king his, his uh, you know, that he is the true God and, and, and proclaim that uh, widespread. So there will be times, I think, when God calls us to, to sort of be bold and to step out and, and maybe to put our job on the line or whatever. But I think a lot of times we, it, it's about being submissive. It's about um, being wise and being strategic. And I think that's why these things are taught in Scripture. So we're strategic so that we can really be able to share the gospel most effectively in these contexts. Well, and something I wanted to pull out of that, um, is that situation with uh, Peter and John was, Sorry, I got to talk to the mic. One thing I wanted to pull out of that situation with Peter and John was um, their response was, should we do what you're telling us to do or what God has called us to do? And that's kind of what you were mentioning. If, you're, if you feel like it's something God's put you in a situation to really speak out, or if he's called you to do that, you better do it. And whatever the ramifications are, the consequences, you got to trust him with that. And that's, I don't know if we can perfectly apply that in a Peter and John situation, but they, they verbalized God's called us to talk about Jesus. And so in their situation, in their time, they didn't pay any attention to the government. In Daniel's situation, it's like you can't pray to anybody but the king. And um, so I, I think there may even be those opportunities, and probably more and more. Um, I'm not saying we are in the end times right now, but as we get 
to that, there's going to be those opportunities put before us um, where if we want to be able to survive or live or whatever, you know, what, are we going to, are we going to bow to um, something false or are we going to stay committed to what's true? Mark of the beast. The mark of the beast. It's going to be, you know, <laughs> definitely... funny. There's a meme I, I read this morning. It said, uh, Christians, when they're facing any kind of slightest inconvenience, and it was, we're in the end times. Antichrist. <laughs> Uh, well, if you got the vaccine, you already have the mark of the yeah. beast. Or so, an apparently, I got sign me up. I got oh. Double mark of the beast. I'm in the Nikolai army, baby. <laughs> yeah. Well, but okay. But here's here's this challenging setting here. So I'm in a very liberal part of our country. Uh, Elon Musk, on his last time at the Joe Rogan show, he said that the the, the two most liberal places in the United States, number one by far for him, was. Uh, uh, Berkeley, California. Number two was Portland, Oregon. And I, I know this only because I have friends who are pastors in Portland trying to build um, or renovate their churches. And they're not like, they, uh, supposedly, supposedly, I haven't verified, please fact check me on the internet people. But supposedly a new church building permit has not been issued in the uh, city of Portland, Portland proper, for over 20 years to build a new church. And what was really challenging about that is the pastor shared with me, and, and it has really made me rethink. Our church owns three and a half acres of one of the most expensive zip codes in our city of Vancouver, Washington, on this bluff overlooking downtown Portland, Oregon. It's beautiful. And we don't pay a single penny of, uh, of property tax because we're a 501c3. And, and it's just been this really interesting thing, not that my opinion would change anything, and I don't, I don't even know... If if I could, if I would, but but right now I feel like even there, like we're not even being good citizens. Um, so when when our government looks at churches in general, our city government, they just see a bunch of leeches that are trying to be other than and get away with things. Um, you know, we have there were stories. One of the earliest stories during COVID was a church in Seattle that refused to uh, you know social distance and wear masks, and their choir gave like everyone COVID and just spread it around because they're singing so loudly. But I just think like how, for the sake of the gospel, how can I build more bridges and more opportunities to share with people that they might actually respond and not just argue my opinion loudly for the sake of feeling right in an argument where no one changes their attitude toward Christ or toward his people? Like what builds more bridges? I think that's an interesting part of the conversation that a lot of people are missing because it's so me versus them. I'm the church because I'm a Christian and that's the state because the Lord knows what they're teaching my kids. And I think too the uh, you know that specific situation, Grant, the you know a, a church in a very expensive zip code taking up a lot of real estate, not paying any taxes. So not the 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 essentially and it's expensive out here in the West. Correctly, man. are supposed to be go back into the community. That's that's what taxes are for. They're they're not putting that. That's not going back in the community. Is the church making up for that by putting back into the community themselves? Because that's well, what the it, church really needs to be doing. And, and I think probably where, not. Yeah, exactly. That's for that's most, right? Do. Like that. That's the conviction we need to have is like, hey, we have, you know, like we're getting this, you know, and and specifically with tax laws, if you're getting this tax break, like, hey, we need to take that break that we're getting, and we need to put that back into people in our community, in our local community. But instead, most churches upgrade sound systems and get bigger staffs, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. 
I'm torn because right behind our church. Crap for their youth. <laughs> yeah. Pizza. Yeah, not spending any money there. No, Little Caesars. That's yeah. the American community. <laughs> Five bucks a pizza. Yeah. Right. In our location too, it's crazy. We have some of the most expensive houses on this bluff in our whole city, but immediately behind the church is this neighborhood that is able to be fully subsidized. It's a Section Eight housing neighborhood that's actually really nice. You wouldn't know it if you didn't know. Um, that has so much of our city's resources going to it all the time. And then there's our church who's tax exempt. We actually closed the soup kitchen because it was underutilized because the one behind us was way better. No one in the neighborhood participated. So it was one of the things I had to help kill when I came in, when our church merged. So it's just a different climate out here in, in general, but I just think in every place, like how can we build bridges to actually get to relationships, which actually share the gospel in a sustainable way where we're just not shouting it at people. We're sharing it with people. I think the, and then you're, everybody's, I think right on with yeah, yeah, yeah. all that. Um, and then the, the counter to that is also um, you have freedom to practice your faith. Um, you have to be definitely wise and discerning as Jeff was saying. Um, you know, strategic in that. Um, yeah, if you're a jerk, no one's going to listen in, right? And whether we're jerk to people or jerk to the government, um, uh, in the city in which we live, like that, just that just builds the wall. But who's going to warn people about Starbucks coffee cups? I think that's God's calling you to do that. Yeah. So hop on the. I'll be up on now, the TikTok. That's relevant in my state. Aaron Steen, was that his name on Facebook? Yeah. I remember him like getting all up in arms about oh. the <laughs> Starbucks cups. <laughs> what were you saying? Uh, well, they're just Starbucks being a Washington company, but they don't pay. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> liberals. Yeah. Um, I'm kidding. We love you. Jesus loves you. Um, not as much. And your coffee's good. So... Um, so yeah, so being being wise, being discerning, but also when you when you know you're supposed to do something or there's an opportunity and you feel like you're acting in line with what the Lord wants, um, be bold, but don't be. I think a lot of times what happens is people think, well, God wants me to fight for this, so He doesn't need us to fight for this. Um, you know, we just follow where He's leading in that, and then, and we we join along in what He's already doing. Um, so it just takes some discernment. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take some wisdom yeah. uh, to know how to walk that line. Like in many things in life, thoughtful action is uh, is key. Yeah, you know, don't do things hastily. Do things while thinking them through, and also you know thinking so, about how it affects the overall you know kingdom work. It's that whole idea of fighting fire with fire, which we're, we're bad as Christians often. Mm-hmm. Of Someone said fighting. Christians fight fire with fireball. Yeah, <laughs> it is like a gigantic. Oh, fireball. I thought you were talking about the liquor. That's what I was thinking. Too. <laughs> I was, but liquor, I hardly know her. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so I figured we could add, we need to wrap up here, but the idea of thoughtful action, we're going to add that to the list of things like decent humanity. Yeah. That no, we should probably develop. Definitely. Thoughtful action could could be had a lot in our country, just yeah, as a whole. Probably could. Like um, that quote, the unexamined life is not worth living. That's from Socrates. Socrates Jones. <laughs> um, I did want to just make like one note that, you know, we are, we are Christians. We are, we are, you know, children of God, but 
on right now on this earth, we are also Americans and we, you know, have the ability to affect social change and political change by our system of democracy. But that doesn't mean that the church needs to be like touting the, uh, you know, specific things that, that's up to each individual as a person in our society. But, you know, that that's, that's one thing that we need to remember is that, you know, we have our power in our ability to vote and, you know, yeah. the way our government is set up. And to nuance and encourage, we have way more power to influence change in our world and in our country and in our politics every single night with our families than we do once every four years when we put a pen to a piece of paper. Word up. Largely in the counties where we know exactly who's going to win anyway. You have yeah. way more power every single day to initiate change with the way that you treat other people and the way that you honor God's first form of government, which is the family unit and how you're pointing them toward Jesus and how you're pointing them toward sharing the love of Jesus every single day, not just when they're 18 and get a pen and stand in a booth and get yelled at by an election lady because you're knocking on the wall to make a joke saying, who did you choose for number four? Mine had a screen with a button. I didn't have a pen. <laughs> well, that's because yeah, last... <laughs> the elections are rigged. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Actually, so we've got to fill our quivers then. Yeah, we have to fill our quivers. Yeah. The last time I actually voted was in Illinois. <laughs> if that says anything. Well, your vote's not going to make much of a difference in Washington. Because no. you vote for Trump, right? I have not voted since Illinois. I was going to say, my vote doesn't matter much here. Because <laughs> I don't vote for any either of the major two parties. <laughs> well, we do want to let you guys know, uh, as a listening audience, as we wrap up here, Who that, to vote for? that we do have a candidate um, that we're going to be endorsing. Um, and we just want to go ahead and put it out there. It's Kevin Kennedy. Um, oh, I thought it was Whitey today. Bulger. Got you. Oh. No, Whitey Bulger is the what's running it, mate. What's he running for? Oh, okay. Yeah, running for... <laughs> <laughs> so uh when it comes to election time next year just write kevin kennedy and we know he's, he's running on the platform of tiktok right yeah yeah that's you can check entire out platform, check his platform is followers yeah kev would you please mention us on your just once i i, I noticed <laughs> on the way home tonight that his billboard changed to 1.6 oh, million. oh like, it was 1.3 so it's kind of like the so, so so he updated it, it. Billions and billions served. Yeah. Welcome. All right. So it was good stuff. Um, as always, thanks so I'd much. I'd vote for Kennedy and Bulger. That's and a good take. Bulger? <laughs> vote for the actual Whitey Bulger? Yeah. The one. <laughs> the criminal. <laughs> a platform when he... <laughs> Probably pretty similar to some of the ones we see. Yeah, Kev's got covered, but got Hopefully. the bulger covered. Hopefully, the bulger. Hopefully with pants. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, we will check in with you guys next week. Word. Merry Christmas. Later.